0: Well, good morning, church family. What a wonderful thing to celebrate. Not just the tragic death of Jesus, but the sacrificial death of Jesus, the redemptive death of Jesus. You know, it's been said before, the Christians could be considered one of the most macabre bunches of people on the face of the planet because every year, well, almost every day, if you're a believer, you celebrate the uh, sacrifice of Jesus and what it means for us. But every year all around the world, the world stops literally for Good Friday. And we stop on Good Friday to remember the death of Jesus. Through the lens of some viewers, it's a tragic martyrdom. Through others, it's a symbol of injustice as the might of the world, the Roman Empire and the might of the religious establishment. Those two things came together and conspired to unjustly take the life of Jesus. But of course, we've just been sitting together in the hope-filled prophecies of Isaiah of Jerusalem desert mystic that firm believer can imagine him with his wild eyes and his bushy beard worshiping God looking through the hallways of history and looking down the barrel of the future and seeing there this mystery that is found in most of the Old Testament prophets that God himself would take on human form and come down And work salvation with his own arm. Later in Isaiah, the words of the Lord will come to Isaiah, and God will say, I looked and I didn't see anyone. There was no man to help. So I myself wrought salvation with my own arm. And you know, on Good Friday, what we celebrate is we celebrate the lens that Isaiah the prophet provides, not just for us, but provided for the first century followers of Jesus and provided for the writers of the New Testament. A lens through which the death of Jesus took on significance that was so much more than a tragic death or a murder or a martyrdom. So much more than a ravishing at the hands of an empire. It was a lens which said this man was the Lamb of God that came to take away our sins. And therefore the death of Jesus was not just a tragic death, but it was a sacred sacrifice. A sacrifice in which God himself came down a sacrifice in which God himself came down and wrought salvation with his own arm, because there was none to do so. In Mark's gospel, we read earlier from Mark chapter 15, that haunting, harrowing account of the death of Jesus as he was taken away, as he was mocked, as he was beaten. And then we looked through the lens of Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant, those who words we read from Isaiah were a a, a montage of the servant songs that come from Isaiah from chapter 38 and uh, between 38 and 55 of the book of Isaiah. This stitching together, this quilt of visions that Isaiah had about a great servant, God in human form that would come and suffer and suffer a sacrificial death that would overcome evil and injustice and sin and death and darkness And all the way through Isaiah's prophecy is woven the hope that this is not just something for Jerusalem and not just something for Israel. Yes, this is something that will span to the edges of the very earth itself. And Isaiah peppers hope all the way through his teaching that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And we stop today on Good Friday to celebrate that on the cross we see darkness, on the cross we see shame, on the cross we see pain. Indeed, if we saw it with our own eyes, we'd turn them away from the bloodshed and the horror of it. But we also see redemption. We see the love of God, the reckless love of a God that embraced death, embraced that shame, embraced that pain, embraced us. And on the cross took it all into himself to carry it away. So significant is this lens of Isaiah's suffering servant that it frames everything Mark wrote in his gospel. Mark begins his gospel in the tradition of most ancient historical writers. When ancient writers began to write, what they would do is the first line of their text would become the title of their text. Listen to the first line of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And of course, Mark goes on to quote Isaiah, and he quotes Isaiah extensively throughout his gospel. But you have to understand, he's not just introducing one quote in Mark chapter 1, but what he's doing is he's helping us understand that in the eyes of Jesus, why Jesus willingly went to his suffering, why Jesus willingly went to the cross, was simply because Jesus understood, as Mark chronicles for us, and as later Matthew and Luke will do, and John the Apostle Paul and Peter when he writes and Luke when he writes Acts, they will all look back and say, we recognize Jesus, we know who he is because of two amazing things. Number one is resurrection that we will celebrate on Easter Sunday, the end of the story, the conclusion to the tale. How many people know that when you're in the middle of a story, you, you, you never let the tragedy of the middle rob you of the glory of the ending and we stand on Good Friday moved by the sacrifice and moved by the death of Jesus. But we're also inspired because just over the horizon, we know, as the old preacher said, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. You know, we should let the victory of the cross of Jesus fill our soul on a day like today when we live in a world that is broken a world that is hurting and a world that is in pain and we should say man that's Friday that's Friday for you that's Friday with Jesus dead that's Friday with Jesus disciples scattered that's Friday with Jesus body in the tomb that's Friday with the Romans cheering that's Friday with the religious elite celebrating that's Friday with all the powers of hell doing cartwheels and celebrating that they have taken out the one who called himself the son of God Friday, Friday, a day of death. Friday, a day of bitterness. Friday, a day of suffering. Friday, a day of brokenness. Good Friday, it's called paradoxically. Because through the lens of Jesus' resurrection, we understand in a Friday world that Sunday is just around the corner. It's Friday today, but Sunday's coming. There will come a day where the stone will be rolled away. There will come a day where resurrection power floods the body of Jesus. And it came that Easter Sunday. And in just two days time, we'll be gathering again here online together. It's so good that you're with us. We'll be gathering together to bask in the wonder of the resurrected Jesus, not the Friday Jesus. The Sunday Jesus, the risen Jesus. Mark says we gain hope from Jesus because his death is given meaning by the fact that he was raised from death, making everything he promised true, making everything he predicted significant, making everything that turned his face, as Isaiah said, like flint, towards the cross. He willingly suffered for us, knowing that he would rise again. And when he rose again, we suddenly worked out Jesus wasn't just crazy. He wasn't just mad. You know, there were so many people that were given the title of Messiah in the first century. There were so many people where the local Jewish population went, quick, follow them out to the desert. Take out your sword. Get a parade going. This is the Messiah. Finally, the promised one has come. And the Romans killed every single one of them and they were stamped out even by the time Jesus came along four or five significant messianic figures had come who the Jewish people of the day said this is the one this is the one that's been promised and the Romans killed every single one of them and every single one of those moments died and was stamped out and made extinct in history and there's one messianic figure from the first century world that took the world by storm So much so that today from the center of Australia in Alice Springs, we too celebrate this amazing death because only one of those historical figures rose from death. Only one of those historical figures embraced the cross on behalf of you and I in fulfillment of the hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, in fulfillment of the sketch of the prophet Isaiah, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. His resurrection vindicates prediction of his death and the second thing is not just his resurrection but is indeed his fulfillment of prophecy that the old testament prophets daniel who saw this mysterious figure that the rabbis of the first century really struggled to interpret this one who daniel called the son of man he was there sitting sitting on a throne in heaven and here comes nations, here comes kings, here comes angels worshipping him as this son of man, this heavenly creature who is enthroned and you can even hear when you read the prophecies of Daniel, you can almost read the confusion because, hang on a minute, how can it be a human figure seated on a throne in heaven? It's mysterious unless you understand the fact that it is God in heaven who intended to take on human form in the form of Jesus and that my friend is why Jesus' most popular title for himself the son of man and he said this famous statement about himself when people harangued him and harassed him for hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners and those who were far away from God this is what he said the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost And Jesus in his own view understood that he was the one foreseen by the prophet Daniel he was the one enthroned on heaven who came to earth to fight the beast to fight the powers of sin and death to fight darkness and chaos and shame and isolation and brokenness and every wound. And Isaiah said he was pierced for all of those things and he took them upon himself. And by his stripes, we can be healed. The Prophets of the Old Testament are so numerous that if you took the state of Texas. How many Americans are with us this morning? Give us a holler. If you took the state of Texas and you took one donut and you covered from border to border, the floor of the state, the entire state of Texas with donuts, and then you stack donut upon donut upon donut. How many people love donuts? Donut answer. If you stacked the entire state of Texas, waist high in donuts and covered every square inch, every single one of those donuts would represent the probability from one to a billion. Of a person like Jesus coming and fulfilling the number of Old Testament prophecies that He fulfilled. It's been calculated by a mathematician numbers that are in quantifiable, unless you tiled the entire state of Texas with donuts waist high, then you'd have a point. Every one of those donuts is a point on the scale of probability. Who could fulfill everything that the Old Testament prophets predicted? And Jesus came, and He did that, and so. We remember his death today, but we don't just remember his death, we celebrate his death. We celebrate the nearness that we can have, the reconciliation that we can have, the fact that we can be brought near to God. And we celebrate it in a certain way, and I'm going to ask you in a moment, in your household, wherever you're watching this from, wherever you're streaming, I'm going to ask you to distribute the bread and the juice. I saw online, some of you have got your wine ready, that's okay. If you're part of our dlc database and you read your emails from pastor ben you would have got a message over the last two weeks saying hey we want to distribute to you these little pre-packed communion packages and in there is a little cup of wine like this it's non-alcoholic grape juice and a little communion host the wafer it's gluten-free i'm told so that's okay you can uh, not worry too much about your allergies We've delivered these in Alice Springs to as many people as we are able to get to. Now, if you didn't get that communication, that just means you're not on our database. So you should fix that up. Or you didn't read your emails, of course, and you didn't uh, respond to it. But however you're celebrating communion together, maybe you're breaking bread in your own home. Maybe you've quickly run and got the apple appetizer or the grape juice out of the cupboard. And what we're going to do together in a moment as a celebration of the death of Jesus, we're going to take the communion bread and we're going to drink the wine together. In Luke We hear the story of Jesus in chapter 22, the retelling of Luke's account of Jesus in the Last Supper, where he instituted this wonderful sacrament called communion. Sacrament simply means this, a human action performed that when humans do it, God is also at work in it. And in the church, we have a number of sacraments. When we break bread together, that bread stands in for us as the body and blood of Jesus. And in that moment, the power of Jesus' resurrection is present in the church. When we baptise somebody, we're dunking them underwater, but God is coming and wroughting a new creation work in their life. When we marry people, when we perform and officiate the covenant of marriage, what's happening is we're saying the words, the bride and the groom, they're saying the words, but what's really happening is God himself is coming and wroughting a covenant. These are the sacraments of the church. And Jesus instituted communion as one of those great sacraments that when we break bread, what we do is we stand together in remembrance of the death and resurrection. Of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in chapter 22 of the Gospel of Luke in verse 19. It says, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, saying to them, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now I want you to hold that picture in your mind. Imagine Jesus wasn't holding up a, a token like this one, a, a symbolic piece of bread. He was holding an unleavened loaf, the Passover loaf. And you can imagine Jesus taking that bread, and I'm going to do it in just a second, and breaking it. It says, he took it and he broke it. Watch. Imagine that ripping sensation. Imagine what's happened to that bread. It's been ground as wheat. It's been harvested. It's been plucked. It's been pounded. It's been mixed. It's been kneaded and squashed and under great pressure. Then it's been baked. And after it's been baked, it's been removed. And Jesus is holding this bread that has gone through so much so much pounding so much beating so much grinding it's been in the furnace and then Jesus takes that bread and he rips it and as he rips it he says watch this is my body he's predicting his death and he's pointing forward he would be pounded he would be broken he would go through the furnace he would be ripped he would be shredded both in his torture when his beard was ripped out when the crown of thorns was placed upon his head when he was whipped when that robe of rough fabric was thrown over those open wounds and then ripped back off again, he was dressed back in his own clothing and made to carry a rough hewn cross up the hill of Golgotha. Then, of course, he was nailed to a cross and hung. He was shredded, Isaiah said he was, but those stripes upon him, those wounds, those piercings were for us. And Jesus holds up the bread and says, I'm like this bread, I'm going to be shredded, but this is my body given for you. And in just a moment, we'll, we'll eat this shredded bread. And as we eat it, it will become part of us. We will digest it. We'll take it in. It will come into us. And at the cellular structure, this bread that was something external to me will now become part of me. And it will have an effect on my system. It will have a nourishing effect. It, At the cellular level, I will absorb it. It will become part of me. That's why communion's so powerful, because Jesus said, I'm like this bread. I was broken for you. I was shredded. But I want you to take me in. I want you to absorb me. I want to become part of your life at the cellular level of your soul, though, at the invisible parts of you. I want to come in. I want to reside. I want to nourish you. I want to provide for you. I want the bread that is my body to become something that nurtures and feeds you. Jesus said, take it and eat it and remember me. Then he holds up the cup he gives it to them and he says this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and he's pointing of course to Jeremiah's prophecy of a new covenant where God would remove from humans their heart of stone and God would take away the law And he would bring a new covenant. He said, I will take away your heart of stone and I will make a heart of flesh. And there's something in the sacrifice of Jesus that breaks our hearts. There's something in the sacrifice of Jesus that humans resonate with because it shifts our lives. And again, Jesus said, take this cup, drink it in remembrance of me. Imagine those grapes in the prime of their life plucked from a vine when they're ripe, when they're robust. They're plucked and they're taken They're taken to a wine press and they're put in there and they are squeezed, they are pressed, they are beaten. And all the lifeblood in those grapes, we call it juice, is squeezed out and it's taken. When you take it in, in the first century world, they would ferment that juice. They would circulate it at festivals and weddings. In the words of the Proverbs, it became wine that would gladden their hearts. Jesus is saying, this wine, this is my blood. It's something, I was beaten, I was squashed, I was harvested, I was plucked in the prime of my life at 33 years old. I was tortured and I was squeezed and my blood poured out. But that blood was poured out for you and poured out for me. It's something that nurtures, it's something that nourishes, it's something that when you take it in now, it will gladden your heart as well. It's a paradox, isn't it? The beating, the ripping, the shredding, the squashing, the squeezing, the squeezing, the eating, the drinking, the nourishing. That we could take in the gospel message and take in Jesus himself. That's what's powerful about communion is that it's representative to us of what happens in worship and in prayer and in the study of the word. That we are feeding on Christ. If you're part of the more liturgical denominations, maybe the Lutherans or the Catholics or the Anglicans. I'll often say this phrase, feed on him in our hearts and it's such a wonderful phrase to take in who Jesus is as we drink so in just a moment we're going to take the bread together why don't you take the bread that's in your hand right now and let me pray for you as you take that bread hold it in your hand with your family it's okay why don't you look at each other give each other a smile give each other a nod come on let's take our bread together father in Jesus name we're going to eat this bread and we stand here today as grateful recipients to the sacrifice of Jesus So every single one of us listening to this stream, those of us in this room, we thank you. We thank you for your sacrificial death. And we're overawed. Sometimes we are horrified at the vision of the cross. but We're overjoyed at the sacrifice for us. And as we take this bread, we ask, King Jesus, would you come into our lives, come into our hearts, permeate us with yourself and your amazing power and your amazing life in Jesus' name. And as we drink, let's also drink in the presence of Jesus. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, but now is the time in your heart to say, hey, Jesus, thank you for your death. Thank you, let me drink in your presence. And today's a great day, whether you've ever done it before or whether you've never done it in your whole life, to draw a line in the sand of your life and say, Jesus, no matter where I've been going to, no matter where I've been coming from, as I drink this cup today, what I do is this drinking is a symbolic action of me turning my life over to God. And me drinking in your presence and me saying, thank you for your death. I say yes to the gospel message, the offer of the great exchange, my darkness for your life, my brokenness for your life, my sin for your righteousness, my death for your life. Come on, why don't we drink together as we just in our hearts say a dramatic yes and amen to the offer of life in Jesus. Great day, we stand and we remember your death. And we look in hope to be able to stand together and celebrate Sunday the amazing victory and the amazing power of your resurrection. And we live in the light of it, Lord. But today, our hearts are consumed with the gravitas of a vision of the cross. And we thank you for that cross in Jesus' name pray for you my friend today would be filled with meaning that the power of the cross would stay in your heart as we finish our service today Let's sing a song together. Thank you for joining us. We love you. We really hope you'll join us for part two of the Great Easter Weekend, the Resurrection Sunday service at 9.30 a.m. this Sunday morning. We'll be coming at you live again. The service is not pre-filmed. Thanks for all the comments online. We saw you. Thanks for the pictures that you've sent in of all of you who are worshipping Jesus together this morning. Got a great video of someone standing there, them and their dog worshipping Jesus. That was pretty cool, Scott. And uh, the band are going to come. We're going to close out our service with this amazing song. God bless you.